Blog Talk Radio. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Speaker, it shouldn't take an act of Congress for these women to be inurned in Arlington National Cemetery. We've heard from numerous people on both sides of the aisle that this is simply the right thing to do. The Army should have just said, yes, let's get them buried there. The President should have used his pen and phone and ordered the Army to do it if they wouldn't. But guess what? We're here now, and it's going to take an act of Congress. And it's going to be a very strong act of Congress. I can't imagine we not passing this out of this House unanimously. And I suspect we'll see similar results in the Senate. But the remains of this woman should not have to rest in her granddaughter's closet. They should be interned in Arlington now. I urge my colleagues here to pass this bill unanimously, urge the Senate to act quickly, and urge President Obama to sign this into law. It's simply the right thing to do. We've just got to do it. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. I am Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and you've arrived at what we call Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you right now, and hold on, they're talking in my ear here. Uh, we want to go ahead and uh, give me one moment, ladies and gentlemen, as tonight uh, seems to be a big one, uh, as all our spotlights are. And uh, delete, wait a minute. What is that sound? Something big coming out of Texas. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Folks, hold on to your seats. We are getting ready to shine the light on Congressman Blake Farenhold, and he is from the state of Texas. Hang on, folks. We are getting ready for a journey and a trip. Buckle in. Spotlight on Capitol Hill starts right now. And there you have it, folks. Tonight's theme is going to definitely be a good one. Uh, spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Congressman Blake Farenhold actually is doing some things in Washington. And tonight, AJC Radio will take some moments and some time to shine the light on Capitol Hill as we talk about a individual, Lisa, that you and I had the privilege, uh, Cliff, uh, to meet in Washington, D.C., and uh, he is very uh, uh, passionate. He's very uh, charismatic, if you will, about his positions on the judicial system, on our veterans, uh, and as a elected official. Lisa, your thoughts when we did get the opportunity uh, to talk to him? We're going to bring that interview to our listeners tonight. Your thoughts on Congressman Farenthold? Well, Congressman Farenthold seems to have a grasp, a good grasp of what it is that he wants to accomplish while he's in office. He's, he's done a lot of things. He's stepped out a lot and done a lot of things that I think are good for the country. Um, he's, he's moving forward. He's definitely making 
making tremendous strides moving forward for the country. And Cliff, you were also present uh, in Washington on that particular journey uh, by AJC Radio. And uh, your thoughts on the congressman uh, basically opened the door like we were uh, coming in for breakfast, uh, you know, in Texas. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, attitude of the congressman? It was very mild-mannered, low-key, you know, when you're there. We're very hospitable, uh, like most people out of Texas. But then, uh, as you heard in the opening clip, he can be a he can be a bulldog. He can be a, one of those longhorn uh, bulls that can uh, really put it to you and stick to his guns to get the things done that he know has to be done to be a viable part of a Congress. I know, absolutely. And, Dennis, uh, we have found that Congressman Fahrenheit is one that is definitely concerned about our veterans, uh, and you being a former veteran, thank you for your service. Your perspective as a veteran uh, on Congressman Fahrenheit and his passion to protect the veterans of this country. I, I think it's great. I mean, our veterans have done a lot for this country. I mean, because of our veterans, uh, we have our freedom. And I tell you, a lot of lost lives and uh, a lot of dedication. But uh, congressmen like that, I tell you, if they're about the veteran. I'm all for him. And absolutely, and couldn't be spoken better uh, than from a veteran himself. And we appreciate that. Folks, this is going to be a humdinger. Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners tonight. Yes, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinion expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you, Lisa, for that. And uh, I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, if you want to join the conversation tonight, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. Your opinion, your thoughts uh, definitely mean a lot on this program. We, we definitely want to hear from you. They say the good things that come out of Texas is usually a uh, 10-ounce or 20-ounce steak off the grill, uh, but I'll tell you tonight, we go a bit further with a legend, if you will, a champion, I call him, on Capitol Hill with Congressman Blake Farenthold, and uh, tonight, we, in, we, we intend to get into that conversation, and uh, stay with us, folks, we're going to be bringing that exclusive one-on-one interview uh, given to us by Congressman Farenthold here uh, on the other side of the break, and uh, right now, we're going to talk about something that's very important. Um, that it speaks to the attacks, Dennis, uh, in Brussels, uh, the terrorist attack uh, being uh, 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 ISIS coming out, making no, uh, taking no delay uh, in accepting responsibility for the attacks. Uh, and the 32 people that were killed in those attacks, uh, we have a problem, and it seems to be getting closer to the homeland. Your thoughts on that, Dennis? Uh, that's true. I mean, it's getting... Uh, it's already out of hand. I can't say it's getting out of hand. I mean, but the the, the uh, terrorists are getting bolder and bolder. Uh, as an Amer as as a country, uh, we're gonna have to, you know, really really get down to business about figuring out how we can uh, protect our borders and and keep keep Americans safe. And then not only keep Americans safe, but since we're the superpower, we need to be able to assist our allies in doing the same. And Cliff, as you have uh, had the opportunity to see the devastation, uh, I was watching uh, CNN today, and a gentleman was trapped under the rubble, uh, dying. It appeared the horrors and the screams. Uh, when you see this, how concerned should America be as ISIS approaches the United States? 
Well, it's already been stated by, you know, law enforcement, members of Congress, uh, everyone who has a voice about what's going on with ICE is that they know that there's sleeper cells here in America. So we have to uh, do what we must as as uh, America, as American law enforcement, federal law enforcement, to ensure that those cells are tracked down, that, uh, you know, the ISIS threat is eradicated here at home then, as Dennis said, so that we can help our allies abroad as well. Alisa, your thoughts on the tragedy and the devastation of Brussels as, again, we find federal officials scrambling, running around looking for answers. Uh, your thoughts on this type of devastation that affects the uh, safety and the security of this nation as well. Well, Lamont, watching the news and you see the pictures of the people and the things that things that were happening, the pictures of the aftermath, it's it's a horrific horrific thing to watch on TV. And I, when I was reading about the attack, they did mention that they the that the Belgians had their security had had lapses in it, and they needed to address that, and they hadn't addressed it in a timely manner. I think it it brings to light how important it is to keep your security up to par and have everything covered so that you don't end up with things like this happening. Well, folks, grab your notebooks, grab your iPad, grab whatever it is where you jot down the things that are of the utmost importance, because guess what? Breaking news right now on AJC Radio is that the answer to ISIS, we have found it. They are six men known as the IRP-6. Who are these men? Who are these patriots? Who are these uh, champions of justice, of of keeping America safe, they sit in prison right now with the key to stop ISIS and any terrorist group that threatens the homeland of the United States. Who are they? They are David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Uh, later in this program tonight, we will deal with what you didn't know about the IRP-6 and about the software sitting idle. And available right now to keep the homeland safe as ISIS threatens the homeland of the United States. Stay tuned for that later in the program. Uh, Also, we'll be dealing with a couple of issues. It is election season. Uh, We have some some things going on in the political on the political horizon, if you will, as we brace ourselves uh, as American citizens uh, as we are on the brink of transition of power. We're looking, we're almost into April next week, uh, not too long from now, uh, right after Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving in Turkey, uh, we'll, we, have, we would have elected a new president. And uh, Dennis, when time is moving very quickly and America seems at a position of uneasiness uh, to a point as we have seen the election with a different spin this year. Your thoughts on that? A totally different spin. Uh, a lot of attitude out there. Uh, it's just that the biggest thing is that the voters got to get out and vote. Uh, when, when you know the caucuses, I mean that's fine. I mean we got to do what we got to do. But when it's time to vote, vote for our president. I strongly urge every citizen to get out there and vote because uh, there's no excuse. Once that person, once an individual is in office, that was for the people, by the people. So uh, we need to really get out there and vote. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Cliff, well, we, were, we were talking before uh, in regards to uh, uh, the issues with the voting laws in states, making it difficult for uh, inner city communities, uh, uh, difficult uh, to get out and vote. Your thoughts on the importance of that vote and fighting and standing against that as we are in the one, probably, I would believe, 
to be one of the most critical elections of our time. Yeah, and you know what it what it boils down to is you know there's there's always been a fight as far as to uh, by a lot on the extreme right to revoke the the uh, voting rights of several uh, different groups of people, whether it be minorities, uh, whether it be um, you know those who who have been who are pretty much uh, illegal aliens. I mean, people who've been here 20 years, you don't want them to vote. Well, then don't take their taxes. That's my that's my opinion on it. I wow. agree. There don't you take, go. I agree. Don't take. Don't tell me pay taxes and then tell me I don't have the the right to vote. <laughs> I agree. And uh, so you know, but uh, to just to to echo what Dennis said, I mean, you got to get out there. Got to do what it takes. You got to understand the whole. You know, understand the policies. Understand the process. Get out there and vote. My. I've always said, hey, if you don't if you don't vote, you don't have the right to complain when the person that you don't want in office is doing things you don't want them to do. Exactly. At least if you voted, you say, hey, well, I made my voice known. Uh, the majority of the voters were against me, but at least that way, you uh, you have the right to speak up. If you don't vote, just sit back and shut up. Exactly. Well, there you go, folks. Mix no bones <laughs> about it. Uh, it's important that we get out the vote this year, uh, and uh, we're not going to tell you how to vote, who to vote for. It is important you get out to vote and understand the decision you make will shape a nation. Uh, we're talking about a Supreme Court, uh, many, probably a few Supreme Court nominations uh, during the, the presidency, depending on what uh, befalls us uh, and the members who sit on the Supreme Court. Uh, we're talking about a lot of legislation. We have seats coming up in the House, uh, in the Senate, uh, and a lot of Republican seats are coming up. Uh, where it looks like, uh, based upon uh, uh, what I've been hearing, a opportunity for the Democratic Party to take sole uh, leadership of the House. Uh, so we're, we're taking a look at a lot of things. Uh, folks, again, get out to vote, uh, and it's important. Tonight, as we shine the light, spotlight on Capitol Hill, on Congressman Farenthold out of Texas, uh, we're going to learn some things about what he's doing, what his efforts are, and the whole purpose of Spotlight on Capitol Hill is one thing. We're going to talk about what Congress is doing versus what they are not doing and what people want to focus on. And we have learned a huge lesson through this process that members of Congress and our elected officials are doing some phenomenal things. We're going to be uh, getting to that here momentarily. Right now, uh, we're going to get ready to take a break. Coming back, we will bring the exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with Congressman Farenthold, given right only to AJC Radio. Folks, hang on to your seats. Right now in Colorado Springs, 46 degrees. Had a little touch of winter yesterday in the springtime season, but right now we're at 46 degrees. Some clouds, some sun. New York City is 51, a little cloudy, and in our nation's capital, we wish we were there. 79 degrees, partly sunny, and it's getting better. Folks, hang on in there. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We're coming right back with Congressman Farenthold making a difference on a nation. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. 
And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at one 855 529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight with Captain Hill. 
by on the spotlights on Capitol Hill because the information uh, seems to be overwhelming of what our elected officials are doing. Lisa, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, as we said before, I think people don't realize how much work that our members actually do. They work hard. They work long hours. They put in a lot of time trying to do what they think is right for this country. And people don't realize how much how much time and work and effort is involved in that, how much sacrifice they have to make being away from their families they don't understand i don't think people understand the full scope of the sacrifice that they're making no absolutely and i definitely agree with that point uh congressman farenhold is a lifelong resident of texas born and raised in corpus christi he's currently serving his third term in congress and he represents the 27th district excuse me 27th district of texas uh which includes the texas gulf coast and corpus christi vicinity and I'll tell you, Representative Farenthold is working towards a smaller, more accountable uh, and transparent government through his service as a committee member on the House Oversight Committee, the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and the House Judiciary Committee. And Lisa, we know how important that committee is as far as the Judiciary uh, of Congress. Yes, absolutely. They do a lot of, they oversee a lot of important things. And it looks like, uh, it says here, prior to being elected to Congress, uh, Congressman Farenthold uh, had a very diverse career, including working as a conservative radio uh, commentator, seven years of law practice with the Clayburg Law Firm, and founding uh, Farenthold Consulting LLC, a computer consulting and web design firm. Uh, he continues to pursue, pursue his passion for broadcasting, appearing frequently on radio and television. And one of those frequencies is his appearance here on AJC Radio uh, as a... Uh, 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 definitely an honor for us, Dennis, to have him. Uh, and we're going to, again, moments, we're going to be bringing that exclusive interview uh, to our listeners. And uh, we talked a little bit about his record, some of the committees, uh, again, that he sits on. Again, he's part of the judiciary. And that always raises a red flag to us, given the, the criminal justice system right now in the need of major reform. And when we get an opportunity to talk to these elected officials, they, it doesn't take them long to deal and address criminal justice reform. Uh, and the reason for that is that it is a major issue in this country right now. Uh, and we're looking to hopefully see some massive changes uh, to that. And, uh, Dennis, your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, that's, that's what we're about. We're about uh, justice. And uh, there, there is really a, a grave need for uh, judicial reform. And if... Uh, the, the, if the congressman here, Mr. Farenthold, is is really pushing for that, I'm telling you, uh, that's what needs to happen right now. We got too many exonerations, and and they're, they're 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 continuing to happen, and so and then we got people being wrongfully convicted. There's just so much in this country going on with our judicial system. It's time for an overhaul. overhaul. And in order to do that, we got to get all our Congress people together, and- our congressmen and women. And, of course, the House, we need to get everybody together and say, okay, time for some change. Well, you know what we're finding here on the spotlight on Capitol Hill? Each member is is uniquely different. Uh, Each member has a specific role that they play. Uh, And I think that's what's fascinating about the spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, because it's we got to, and I believe that's good for the diversity of Congress, because with all of those pieces together, 
change can actually be implemented. Exactly. And we can learn and grow and do what needs to be done. Uh, and I'm, I want to uh, give a special shout-out to his wife. He's been married to his wife, Debbie, for 28 years. We talk about military wives, but what about congressmen and congresswomen's uh, wives and husbands, what they must go through on a continual basis, Cliff? Yeah. Your thoughts? I mean, because if you, if you think about the way that they travel, they come in, they're there uh, three and a half, four and a half days a week, and then they fly back out. So by the time they get in, it's, it's typically late at night. So they got Friday and Saturday and uh, part of Sunday. Then they're prepping to go back out. I mean, like we get up to do our, our nine-to-five job. That's what they do, but they take a plane uh, to get to D.C. Right. every week. And so you look at that, and some of them, you know, some of them have young kids. Some of them have uh, kids who are transitioning from, like, middle school to high school or high school to college. And, like you said, the sacrifice that they make for their families so that they can be servant to the public. It is uh, unimaginable. And then what has always stricken me, uh, when we've been there to speak with members of Congress, is that they come in and they're so cordial, like, oh, yeah, you know, I just came in fresh. I mean, we can talk to them on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, called Thursday, you know, travel day. You can see one of them on Thursday, and they are just as cordial as if, you know, every vote went their way. It always astounds me that they come in and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not with this grumpy, like, you know, hey, we, uh, we, we lost a vote. I'm upset that I've been here. These are truly servants of the people, and and uh, it, it's to be commended. No, absolutely. Uh, and those are the things I think uh, that we actually must focus on. And just look at the rundown on Congressman Farenthold, uh, House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, Vice Chairman, Subcommittee on Information Technology, Member of the Subcommittee on the Interior, Transportation and Infrastructure Infrastructure Committee, Vice Chairman, Subcommittee on Railroads, Pipelines, and Hazardous Materials, Member of Subcommittee on Aviation, Member of Subcommittee on Highways and Transit, the Judiciary Committee, the, the Judiciary Committee, excuse me, Vice Chairman, Subcommittee on Regulatory Reform, Commercial and Antitrust Laws, and the Member of Subcommittee on Courts, Lisa, Intellectual Property, uh, and the Internet. And uh, there we go again. Uh, you're always going to get a reference to the IRP-6. These folks are there doing things to oversee and protect the American citizen. And intellectual property is a huge protection of right of the entrepreneur, if you will, exactly. of commerce, that those things are not stolen and taken. Uh, this man is on committees that are truly shaping uh, the United States of America. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, feel free to call in tonight. Uh, on this program, your thoughts on Congressman Farrell as we get ready to unravel, if you will, uh, some of the commitments, some of the passion uh, of this congressman. Feel free to call 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And uh, Dennis, as we was talking earlier uh, in regards to veterans, um, it's huge, huge uh, man of the, you know, some of the things that uh, Congressman Farrell does. Uh, down to the very simple uh, uh, things of legislation, which we're going to get into. Uh, but he is passionate uh, about everything that he is addressing in, in his legislation. What, what sticks out to you most of what we've seen currently in some of those legislation issues? I, I'm just, I'm amazed about, I'm telling you, this, ever since this has been started, 
you know, most of the congressmen that we, or, or, you know, whoever we have on the show that talks about veterans, they're truly committed to making sure that our veterans are being taken care of. Uh, and also that, you know, they're being kind of, I want to use the word rewarded uh, for their service so that, you know, they're not just stuck out there, you know, that, yeah, you serve my country, uh, but we're not going to do anything for you. I mean, you got a congressman like this that's saying, no, we're going to take care of our veterans. That's that's a priority. And as long as you got congressmen doing that, I'm telling you, our veterans are going to be willing to continue to protect this country. No, no, without question. And uh, we'll get into a lot of the legislation. Uh, one that stands uh, out, you know, we keep talking on this program about accountability. Transparency is critically important to gain the trust of the American people. Seems very important to the congressman. Uh, you're going to hear from him not only on this live interview here we're getting ready to bring to you, but also in different uh, times on the floor, raising issues to the, to, with his colleagues, uh, things that are important not only to Texas, uh, but to the United States. Those are things that are critically important. And we'll go into this one very, very briefly. Uh, prior to that interview, uh, is his Government Spending Accountability Act uh, of 2015 requires each federal agency to post on its public website detailed information on employee presentations at conferences, including the prepared text of any verbal presentation, any visual, digital, video, and audio materials presented, including photographs, slides, and audiovisual recordings, Limits to $500,000, the amount that an agency may spend to support a single conference. What he's doing is because there are people that are taking advantage and getting government money. Uh, and he says, There's, where's the proof that you're doing these conferences or this is exactly. going on? Cliff, when you see that, I think it's, that's the standard uh, in America on transparency, that's right. on accountability. Transparency and accountability. And every member be going out saying, you know what, this is exactly what we spent, this is exactly how we spent it, and this is why we spent it. You, If you go to a Congress, to a, a, a conference, you say, we spent $500,000 putting on this conference of taxpayer dollars. What exactly did you do? Because, hey, if you do one of those every other month, you're talking about $6 million that you just spent a taxpayer dollar. There we go. Doing conferences. What did you get accomplished? What did you spend, and why did you it that way. If you have to have accountability, you have to have transparency. Without it, that is where waste, fraud, and corruption come. And, and ladies and gentlemen, that's the tip of the iceberg. Listen, that's one uh, part of legislation that we've shared tonight. And I'll tell you, the temperature's rising at AJC Radio because guess what? This is what we have been talking about. This is what members of Congress have to do. And I guarantee you, the only people that's going to have a problem. With Congressman Farrenhold taking that stand, is somebody that is doing what they should not be doing. Exactly. If I'm above board, yes, here we go. Here's the slides, here's the video, here's the recording. And those are, those are things, common sense uh, things that we got to pay attention to. Folks, I don't want to hold off any longer. Right now, let's bring the interview with Congressman Farrenhold as we had an opportunity with an exclusive one-on-one interview only on AJC Radio. Here's that conversation. And good afternoon. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Is this Congressman Farrenhold? It is indeed. Uh, such, a, such a privilege, uh, Congressman, and thank you for taking some time with us. We finally got it done after meeting with you in November uh, <laughs> last year, right before the holidays. Well, I hope it wasn't my fault. No, not at all. Not at all. And we appreciate you taking some time with us. 
uh, for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'm just going to introduce you to America, and we're going to go forward. You ready? I was born ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen of America, uh, welcome to Spotlight on Capitol Hill tonight. Uh, we have the honor and the privileges of sh- uh, privilege, excuse me, of shining the spotlight on Congressman Farenthold from Texas, and uh, a gentleman up there in uh, Washington D.C. doing some things uh, that's definitely making some uh, impact uh, on America and and uh, the citizens of America. And we welcome you, Congressman, to the program tonight. Now, well, listen, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much, and and Congressman, again, such an uh, indeed pleasure when we met you uh, last November. And you had some things on your heart uh, and some things, I, I would say, visionary uh, that you see going forward as uh, America gets into a new time or a new era, if you will, as we are on the uh, brink of electing a new president. Uh, many changes will happen, of course, in Congress as well. Your thoughts on the direction of the country right now? Well, I do think we're at a crossroads as we come up uh, to the next election. and. You know, regardless of who wins the next election, I think there's some things that everybody can agree on that, you know, we can argue, you know, until the cows come home about what the government should be doing, how big the government should be, and all of this. But I don't think anybody would argue that what the government does do, it ought to do efficiently and spend the taxpayers' money wisely and utilize technology to deliver services the way uh, citizens expect them to be delivered because you know you go to any private business and they use technology to enhance how they deliver service yet you go look at the veterans administration for example and they're using programs written in COBOL which is a 1960s computer language to get payments out to the doctors that treat our veterans we need sure. to use information technology to improve service. No, no, absolutely, and uh, I, 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 I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, and I think, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of the, the, the huge scandal with the Veterans Affairs uh, and the, the things that have happened at the VA clinics across the country. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, we've done a, we did a show on Veterans Day honoring our veterans and remembering that uh, our veterans count. And that's just one small piece of the pie. Uh, as you ad- address that issue, perhaps some of the people and some of the things that happened in that scandal and, and that type of situation where it appeared without question the ball had been dropped. Uh, perhaps had we been up on the technology in those particular uh, uh, facilities, perhaps these are things that we could have definitely avoided. So that's definitely a good point. Um, Congressman, as we get ready, I, I did notice that there's been a – uh, a, a bill uh, that the president just recently signed um, in regards to the um, uh, the uh, the veterans uh, situation in regards to and I'm pulling it up now uh, in regards to uh, you had done a press release recently on the actions of the president. You actually spoke to uh, the think that you thought it was a good step for the military, uh, some action that had been recently taken by the president. All right, so we've got uh, several pieces of legislation that uh, have come through Congress, some of which have been assigned by the president that, uh, that help out our veterans. Uh, one of them that uh, I'm, I'm particularly proud of, uh, that I was an original co-sponsor, I worked with a, a Congressman Lynch out of Massachusetts. And what it said is if you know, a lot of veterans come out of the service and go to work for the federal government, and when they go to work for the government uh, coming out of the military, they have to go a year before they're entitled to medical leave. 
and we changed that so veterans with disabilities would be able to go uh, to the VA to seek treatment for their disabilities uh, and, and immediately accrue uh, sick leave time to do that so they wouldn't be penalized for seeking uh, the treatment they need. I mean, that's just a common sense solution. They're working for the government before, they're working for the government after. They shouldn't have to restart accruing their uh, sick leave time. No, absolutely. So a way of really uh, protecting our veterans and, and really doing the right thing uh, is, is exactly that. And, uh, I, I, and think I want to touch on one more thing about veterans, if you'd let me. Uh, oh, sure. Me- members of Congress have a staff of folks that work back in the districts that they uh, represent. Some, co- uh, some congressmen call them caseworkers. Uh, I call them red tape cutters. And they're there for constituents who have problems with the federal government, immigration problem, social security, getting a passport, something like that. But 70 percent of the work that comes in uh, to my red tape cutters is veterans related. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be working a lot harder to get our uh, veterans taken care of. And it's something Congress is working on. But, you know, the the VA is a big, huge federal uh, bureaucracy. It's actually the secretary of the VA is not appointed by Congress. He's appointed by and the president, so we can we can create the rules and give them the tools, but the the, the true leadership in that uh, uh, you know comes from the executive branch. So it needs to be a needs to be a team effort there. Well, no, absolutely, and I think it's a matter of of coming together, uh, Congressman. On our show, we did about veterans left in harm's way. Uh, you know, there were statistics out there about the veterans. So many veterans that were homeless that couldn't get prescription drugs for medication and things like that. And I th- we were really, it was a heartbreaking episode because uh, there were stories there that America has to. Uh, the very freedom we lay our head down on, our pillow at night, is provided by these servicemen and women that give, the, give their lives and sacrifice that freedom may continue in America. And uh, those were things that were very, very troubling. Uh, what steps do you think needs to happen uh, from the top down? that we ensure what you're saying in regards to taking care of our veterans. How do we cross the partisan lines, if you will, uh, and come together and make, I mean, this is just a right thing to do. So there there are two approaches that uh, I'm kind of looking at. The one right now, as we talked about earlier, is streamlining the VA and making sure that they use technology so we don't have veterans slipping through the cracks. I had a I do a radio show back home uh, every Monday morning, and we had a caller a couple of weeks ago uh, who, who said it had taken his son three months to get an appointment to, to see a mental health professional uh, at the VA. And just a few hours before the appointment, uh, that young man committed suicide. And oh, goodness. It, 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 it is absolutely heartbreaking. So Congress is uh, working on the technology. We've passed the veterans choice and that's also been signed into law that says if it takes the VA more than 30 days to see you you're entitled to go see a private uh, practitioner and had uh, you know had we done a better job getting the word out maybe uh, we could have gotten this young man in to see a private care physician but you know they never called our office for help and you know, so I've something I'm talking about whenever I'm on the radio if you feel like you're being uh, made to wait by the VA uh, demand your rights under the Veterans Choice Card and call your local congressman. He or she will help you uh, get in. The other thing, just from a broad, uh, possibly earth-shattering reform at the VA, 
Um, there's starting to be some discussion about whether or not we want to move the veterans' health care completely away from the VA and run it more like uh, Medicare. And you, sure. if you're a veteran, you get a, a, a card. And you know, the details we're still talking about, but they say we pay 110% of to doctors to see a veteran of what they'd get under Medicaid. So the veterans move to the front of the line and you start to develop specialties in veterans care. But I speak to veterans groups and uh, sometimes they're opposed to that. They actually like working with the VA with all their problems because they feel like they have a special understanding of veterans issues. So, you know, just moving towards a more Medicare like system is just in the early discussion stages right now. No, absolutely. And I, and I did locate uh, Congressman Fairholt, the information, uh, I guess uh, you released a press release in regard to the president's signing of the NDAA. Uh, that, yeah, that, uh, that, the National Defense Authorization Act, right. It included some sure. um, you know, very pro-military and pro-veterans uh, provisions. Yeah, and it was, it was refreshing, uh, and, and I quote you, you said, this is a significant step forward for the military that affects more than a million service members and their families. Uh, the bill gives needed protections for those who are serving our country who are victims of sexual assault. Uh, it puts a ban on another round of base closing. Uh, and it's refreshing, Congressman, to see uh, that there are some things that, that uh, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, that we can agree on that the president uh, is making some steps. And this is – it was really refreshing that you would say uh, – oh, we, we, yeah, we, 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 we joke about it in the office. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. I don't agree with President <laughs> Obama on a lot of things, but sure. there are some things you agree on. No, and that's, that's, that's good to know. And uh, I, I think, again, as we talk about veterans and the military, I think those two things definitely come together. Uh, and it's good to see that, that you're, you're passionate about what needs to be done. And what you're saying uh, is something that is going to be helpful, I think, as legislation uh, things begin to come down as far as the changes uh, in this country right now. So uh, that's definitely a good point. Uh, Congressman, on the next point, as we, you know, everybody's talking about the election and what lies ahead for America. And I made this statement a couple of weeks ago. America, and I'll, put, I'll use your word that you used earlier, uh, we are at a crossroad um, of decision. There are a lot of decisions that have to be made in regards to America right now. And I think the American people are on the edge of their seat because whenever you have a transition of power, uh, as far as the presidency, we've done it for a long time now. And America seems to just get in there and, and go with the flow. Uh, how important would you say to our listeners tonight is this election approaching? And not only in the for the presidency of the United States, but also Senate seats, House seats. How important at this time, since we are at a crossroad of decision, what what importance do we place on this election and the importance of our citizens getting out to vote? I, I think it's incredibly important that you get out uh, to vote. You've got a broad spectrum of candidates from the far right uh, to the far left. And it's going to be up to each individual voter to make their decision about where you want to be. And I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm looking for uh, a president that has honesty and integrity and one that uh, realizes that he or she can't do it alone. The best idea is uh, don't come through unilateral executive action, but come through negotiating and working through Congress. You know, the founding fathers set up three co-equal branches of government, and I think we've gotten a little bit out of kilter. Uh, you know, Congress has uh, surrendered a lot of power to the executive branch with uh, 
all these government agencies, you know, the alphabet of soup of government agencies that uh, propose all these regulations that uh, affect our businesses and lives uh, as much, if not more, than laws actually enacted by Congress. And the one question I'm asking all the presidential candidates that I get the opportunity to talk to, and one of the uh, privileges, I guess, of being in Congress is a lot of the presidential candidates come and meet with us in small groups to get our uh, opinion on things and to uh, try to get uh, our support. And I'm asking him, do you support a piece of legislation called the RAINS Act? And what the RAINS Act is, uh, is a law that says if a government agency, say the EPA, were to propose a regulation that has more than $100 million of economic impact, Rather than automatically taking effect, it has to actually be uh, approved affirmatively by Congress. And I think that returns more power to where the Founding Fathers intended it, uh, to the members of Congress who are elected every two or six years, depending on if you're in the House or in the Senate, uh, rather than bureaucrats who uh, have, a, you know, in many instances, a job for li- life working for an executive branch agency. So I want a president who'll sign the RAINS Act and uh, return a little bit more power to Congress. No, absolutely. And uh, again, it, it is a balance of power. Uh, and th- I think that's important. I think uh, over the years, uh, we've seen in at least history, uh, people can work together in Congress and the president. It takes everybody collectively. And I think the point that you make, we need a president that's going to get in there and realize he cannot do it alone. He has to have the help of Congress, uh, the elected officials elected by the American people. Uh, everybody has a voice in the, and coming together collectively to make those things happen. happen it's interesting. You, uh, you need a president with humility, but the running for president does not attract humble people. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So I think I think that's a good point as well. Uh, Congressman, uh, I did see uh, early January, I guess I believe on January, the press release went out uh, in regards to the Fairness in Class Action Litigation Act. Uh, can you tell the people about that, that you worked uh, with so, uh, Bob Goodlatte on that? So the, uh, the FACT Act was the, uh, the, the piece that was mine, uh, legislation, and what it says is that if you file a claim for as, uh, an asbestos-related disease, uh, the trusts that help pay for that from the bankrupt asbestos companies uh, can uh, release your name to make sure you're not filing the same lawsuit against multiple uh, trusts or getting compensated multiple times for the same injury. The, the problem is these trusts are running out of money and uh, we've still got folks who have been exposed to asbestos that aren't showing symptoms. And it's a disproportionate number of folks that suffer from asbestos-related diseases are in the military. So we're trying to make sure that the, the money that's there is there for uh, future victims and not folks who are uh, being led into scamming the system, in some cases by disrupt, uh, disreputable attorneys. Okay, and what happens there, of course, if they're filing multiple claims and they're showing a pattern of abuse, if you will, uh, for the people and the families that need it, um, this is, I presume, the the vision of what you folks had in mind, that the people that need it do not suffer uh, as a result of an abuse of of those uh, particular claims. Is that correct? That's correct. It was a little more controversial than I thought. There were some folks that had a couple of issues with it, but I think we uh, we, we got it passed, and uh, hopefully it'll uh, get signed into law. 
I think we've addressed we addressed most of the concerns people had. No, absolutely. And uh, Lisa, you had something? Yes, Congressman Fahrenthold. I had a question for you. Um, you have done some work in regards to the economy and jobs, and I'm just doing some research on you. And I'm just interested in what your thoughts would be on the direction that we need to be going in a way that you think would help to increase the amount of jobs available in America. We still have a, we still have a high unemployment rate. And so I wanted to find out what your thoughts were. We do have a high unemployment rate. And again, it, it's getting expensive to hire people with the, some of the increases in costs of health insurance. That's uh, certainly making it more difficult along with the mandates to purchase health insurance. We really uh, need to, re- I think, revisit the uh, health care. I think that's a big, uh, a big roadblock in creating jobs. And again, I think it's the overall amount of government regulations. Yeah, you end up hiring a couple people to fill out the paperwork for the government, but it's getting harder and harder for banks to lend money uh, to businesses uh, because of all the regulations under the Dodd-Frank law. Uh, You've got uh, all sorts of other government agencies that are – we've got to have somebody there that's doing – you know, protecting people, uh, you know, job safety and the environment. But we've got to look at it within reason. We've got to have standards – that can be met and focus that regulation on how we can do the most uh, good. And then, you know, you've always got the fallback of the plaintiff's attorneys if a company comes in. But we don't want to get there. We need a lighter touch of regulation. And we see how that works in Texas uh, where the government agencies and the businesses uh, cooperate. You see that in the federal government, for instance, with something called the VPP. Uh, It's a plan with the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration where they team with industry to develop best practices and spread those on a voluntary basis uh, among plants. So they have safety groups that go from plant to plant and, uh, and share information. It's really reduced injuries and reduced the number of inspections that the uh, OSHA has to do and the number of fines. It develops a culture of safety and a partnership between the regulators and the regulated. And uh, I see that as very good for jobs in the economy. We've also got to make sure our transportation system uh, is up to date. We've got to make sure the roads are there so the goods we produce can be delivered and our ports are in good shape so we can engage in international commerce. And I think our low energy prices are going to be a huge boon to jobs uh, in this country. Yes, we're losing some jobs in the oil field, but we're actually starting to see manufacturing come back to this uh, country as energy prices go down. And we have some of the cheapest energy in the world right now. Oh, absolutely. And, Congressman, we are going to be respectful of your time. If, if you have to go, please interject that to us. We're, we're approaching the end of, of the interview, but please, by all means, tell us if, we're, uh, if, if you need to go or we, or we tend to go over as we get into conversation. I do have one question for you uh, in regards to criminal justice reform, which is a hot topic on the Hill right now, uh, as we look at a justice system, if you will, that uh, from what we have learned uh, appears to be very broken. Uh, The overcrowding, mass incarceration, different things that are going on. We have seen bipartisan efforts uh, made in regards to addressing these issues, holding judges, prosecutors accountable, and dealing with the issues that are tough to deal with uh, if we don't deal with them face on. What are your thoughts as far as the criminal justice system, the reform that's needed, and the talk in Washington right now that reform must take place? Uh, we've done a really good job in Texas in uh, moving nonviolent offenders uh, out of prison 
and into halfway houses or some sort of a supervised release program, uh, saving a lot of money and making uh, room for those people who really do uh, need to be in prison, you know, specifically the uh, murderers, rapists, uh, armed robbers, and other violent offenders, uh, while uh, you know, the nonviolent uh, offenders getting them on a path to rehabilitation. And okay. uh, the Judiciary Committee is is working on that. And, uh, it's also making sure judges have some uh, some more discretion in sentencing. Their federal sentencing guidelines. But you need to, uh, you know, you need to take a look at that. Somebody who uh, goes in uh, to a grocery or goes into a store and and shoplifts a TV is may, might ought to be treated different than somebody who goes in and shoplifts a box of macaroni and cheese to feed their family. Now, I'm not, right. I'm not saying it's right to go in and uh, and steal anything. Sure. But, uh, there, there's a, there's a certain order of magnitude uh, to these offenses that uh, judges uh, ought to have. Uh, discretion to uh, listen to listen to what's going on and in the past we've had some pretty strict federal sentencing guidelines and then because you saw judges being too lenient and it looks like the pendulum uh, from what I'm hearing from uh, actually family members who are judges is the pendulum has swung too far and some of the discretion has been taken away from judges right and then then ultimately the system gets worse and worse as and I, I think it's about finding that medium, finding that balance, and really, uh, Congressman, uh, some common sense uh, to you, your, your point in regards to some macaroni and cheese, uh, to a television, uh, to a, you know an armed situation, a yep. kidnapping situation. There has to be a separation uh, of those. And the people will say all the time, you know, that the time doesn't fit the crime on any level. Thus, the president taking some steps. Uh, to to change those issues as well. It, it, you know, it, it's got to be worked out where there there's a deterrence there, but uh, we, we've also got to, I think common sense is the word, and in, in a bureaucracy, there's little room for common sense. You take away all the discretion from people and just have volumes upon volumes uh, of rules that, you know, you can spend your entire life writing rules for something, and you'll never be able to come up with a rule that's right for every possible thing that could happen. You just can't anticipate it. Right. No, and you're, you're correct on that. And the last point, uh, Congressman, I'd like to make uh, uh, a question I'd like to ask you about is regarding uh, the threat of the homeland right now. That, uh, as again, you know, we have people watching all over the world, uh, the presidential election, who's going to be in office, what leeway, if you will, will terrorist groups try to take or to test the new president? Um, and, of course, ISIS is on the tongue of everybody uh, and their aggressiveness to attack the homeland. And we've heard a lot of we are trying to keep the homeland safe. And I think it goes to your point, Congressman, in regards to the technology uh, that can help and aid in that situation. Um, I'm, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, send you some information on the IRP-6, which are six IT professionals that develop software that could actually track ISIS and actually really cripple ISIS and any terrorist groups that threaten the homeland of the United States. I, I would love to see it. it. Listen, there are lots of technology pieces there uh, that we need to use to uh, secure our border. We don't know who is coming in uh, to this country, and I guarantee you uh, uh, a very large number of those coming in 
are not coming in as economic refugees, but are coming in for other more nefarious reasons, whether it's smuggling human beings uh, for sex trafficking, smuggling drugs, or right. even uh, even terrorists uh, entering this country. Uh, border security is uh, one of my top three issues. I, it, if you ask me what I lose sleep over at night, it's border security. No, absolutely. I mean, and I and Congressman, I'm sure you're not alone in that thought process. Uh, as you tuck the kids in at night, uh, Americans all over the country wonder, will will my kids be safe by tomorrow morning? Do we have an issue tonight? And I think that's critically important. Sales, uh, terrorist sales for ISIS all over the United States. That's been verified over and over again that there are sales in the United States. Uh, I'm going to send that information to you, Congressman. Uh, I think it's important. I think your passion for what you are about and what you feel is important to this country, uh, your thoughts and your opinion on that information, we would love to follow up with you uh, on that if that's, if that's okay with you. Please do. Okay, Congressman, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Uh, and please know that you have a door open here at AJC Radio as you continue into this year with, with legislation. If you need to come back on our program uh, in regards to pushing that out to uh, our listeners across the United States, uh, that's an open door to you always. And I do, have- and before I go, I do want to remind every veteran out there, if you're having problems with the VA, call your congressman. They've got staff to help you cut through the red tape. You shouldn't have to call your congressman, but if you feel like you're getting the runaround, you can't get in to get the care you need, call your congressman, and he or she will help. Republican or Democrat, it's partisan support of our veterans uh, here in Washington and back in the uh, districts we represent. No, absolutely, and we will uh, definitely uh, put that out uh, uh, on our website as well. And, uh, Congressman, thank you so much. We, we know you folks are busy up there uh, uh, keeping America running, and uh, we, we will uh, look forward to following up with you on the situation with the IRP-6 and that technology that you speak so uh, vividly about. We appreciate it. It was great being on the air slash internet with y'all. <laughs> hey, we appreciate that. Thank you for the time, Congressman. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, there you have it. Um, Congressman Blake Farenhold, U.S. Representative, lifelong resident of Texas, born and raised in Corpus Christi doing some things, serving his third term in Congress and representing the 27th District of Texas. And Congressman Fairholt is working towards smaller, more accountability, transparent government. He speaks to the plight, if you will, of our veterans who apparently in this country seem to have been left behind. Is this the only issue Congressman Fairholt has passion about? I can guarantee you it's not but one of the major issues facing this nation. He is married, Congressman Fahrenheit has been married to his wife, Debbie, for 28 years. They have two adult daughters, Morgan and Amanda. And I'll tell you right now, folks, Congressman Fahrenheit making a difference in our nation. We're coming right back. Uh, Please join us. We're coming right back with you. Congressman Fahrenheit, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you right now, folks, um, we're just getting started, and uh, we have a lot of things to go over about this champion. And we're going to dig even further as we salute 
in honor of our champion, Congressman Farenthold. We'll be right back. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation, for the ones we love, for our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. On the advice of my counsel, I respectfully exercise my Fifth Amendment right and decline to answer that question. And if the IRS does hand over the emails, what can we expect? Joining us now is Texas Congressman Blake Parenthold, who's a member of that investigative committee, the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, and he joins us now from Austin, Texas. Congressman, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Good to see you. Do you expect Ms. Lerner will be cited for contempt of Congress this coming week? Well, there's certainly some talk about it. Speaker Boehner indicated that uh, that might be an appropriate response. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We've got a government oversight and reform committee business meeting coming up next week. Not on the agenda yet, but uh, may be added. Why are you so troubled by the fact that she has taken the fifth several times? It is a right under the Constitution. And what 
you have or have not so far been told? Well, I don't think she took the fifth. She waived her Fifth Amendment right when she came into that first government oversight and reform hearing and gave her side of the story. Well, we have a right to cross-examine her. She waived her Fifth Amendment right at that point. Now, the IRS is, is, says they will be handing over this material. What do you expect or what do you think it will show? What do you think these emails and these texts and other uh, documents could show? I mean, they were accused of stonewalling the committee in the past few months. Well, my concern is where did it come? Where did the idea come from that we're going to target these Tea Party groups? Even if there wasn't a specific directive from higher up, which I think there was, there was a culture in the IRS where this sort of behavior seems right. The American people deserve honesty from their tax collecting agency. It's not a political tool. It's supposed to be a fair arbiter of taxes. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you right now, when you hear that, we're looking at Congressman Fahrenheit, Dennis Cliff Lisa, getting involved with one of the, mo- the ma- one of the most major scandals in the IRS of late. And Congressman Fahrenheit is holding nothing back. Dennis, when you hear this, they're talking about, of course, Loner. Uh, she was the uh, IRS official, uh, refused, declined, refused basically to answer questions of wrongdoing. Uh, and in those proceedings, and to note Congressman Fahrenheit's position, and calling, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, in dealing with accountability. Uh, Cliff, when you hear Congressman Fahrenheit getting into this, uh, he makes it very clear that she waived her right to plead the fifth when she stated she had done nothing wrong at the onset. Congressman Fahrenheit is is appearing to me to be a person that is going to dig until we get the right result and the right resolve. Exactly, and that's what I was saying uh, earlier when I said, you know, he can be a Texas Longhorn because he's going to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing until he gets the answers that he's looking for. And, you know, anybody, you come before Congress, you are a federal employee, especially on something like this with the IRS situation where you're targeting certain groups, you're, uh, you know, misusing others. Then you come in and want to say, you know, well, hey, I didn't do anything. And then when Congress wants to ask you some questions about the emails that you wrote, why they disappeared, then you want to say, well, I don't have anything to say about it. I think it was the right thing to do, you know, for them to push the IRS, the IRS, excuse me. And um, uh, Congressman Fahrenheit was a huge part of that to say we want answers. The IRS should be held accountable, uh, as all federal agencies should be, and they should have transparency. The people are the ones that pay you as a federal employee, and you owe the people of the United States an explanation when you, uh, when you take actions like this. No, absolutely. And, and how important, Dennis, it, Dennis is it uh, that this type of position be held by our elected officials? We keep saying transparency and accountability. Congressman Fahrenheit, to me, has set the mold of the bar to say under his watch, we're not going to allow this, uh, whatever you would call stonewalling, not wanting to address the issues. You are an IRS official, period. The American people should be able to trust the, one of the largest entities of the federal government when it deals with the American people's money. We shouldn't have to wonder if you're honest, question if you're honest. These are Americans and the hardworking money 
that they work for every day. And if we can't trust the IRS to be transparent as Congressman Fahrenheit is demanding they be, we have a serious problem. How important, Dennis, in your perception, is this issue? It's very important. I mean, uh, a, a, a big uh, entity, a entity as that, the, you know, our federal tax system, you know, how we, you know, tax our citizens and, and how we, we do it fairly and how we treat each other, you know. And, and for someone to have the ability to plead the fifth, to not answer any questions regarding, you know, possible, you know, wrongdoing, I, I think it's wrong. I, I truly think it's wrong. And and the American people, you know, that tells me that either you got something to hide or you don't. If if you didn't do nothing wrong, what's the problem with, uh, you know, defending yourself? But apparently, and, and I can't say anything was done wrong, but apparently uh, she didn't feel that uh, uh, she she needed to. Uh, explain to anyone uh, why you know the, the, the corruption within the t- within our t- IRS uh, took place. Well, look, it, it's political posturing is what it is. It has nothing to do with uh, well, did I do anything wrong? Number one, you look scared to death before <laughs> Congress. You look like you're hiding something, and I'll say it. I'll say it again. If it if you walk like a duck, quacks like a duck. I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen of America. The answer is it's a duck. Exactly. And uh, Congressman Fahrenheit seems to, again, raise the bar. That's, his, to me, one of his major issues of his legislation, passions. Transparency. Transparency. Accountability. What are you doing? We talked earlier in regard to uh, holding people accountable in government spending. Exactly. When grants and monies is given by the government, Cliff, as you alluded to, $500,000, you know, just to put that on a piece of paper and say, look, we did this in in." Ten buck to Iowa or Connecticut or whatever you want to call it. We had this. Co- this is very critical, not only to the American people with the trust factor, but it's important because if we don't have accountability, and I think this is what I respect about Congressman Fahrenheit, without accountability, you have a major problem in the economy, jobs, everything's affected there. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Well, the entire system then breaks down if you don't have accountability. Uh, you, if if nobody knows what the next person is doing, then anybody can do anything. You then the whole system comes tumbling down. There, there is there's no oversight. I mean that's why we have the congressional oversight committee is for them to look over these different arms of the government, these different agencies, to say, look, what are you doing with the people's money? I mean it's a government for the people and by the people, but it comes down to the fact that somebody has to be the watchdog, somebody, uh, you know, over these federal agencies that say you have taxpayer money just in a in a pot. You spend it, and then you want to just come back and say, hey, you know, we spent $500,000 on, uh, on 12 kickballs. Well, that's just not enough. You're going to have to show some receipts, show what you bought, show where you bought it, why you bought it. There has to be transparency. Otherwise, again, the entire system comes tumbling down in even a worse way than it has. No, it definitely does. And we were talking earlier, Dennis, Lisa Cliff, in regards to Congressman Farenthold's position on the abuse of lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits being brought. Say, for instance, Dennis, you and I are in a situation. I'm actually faking an issue, want to bring a frivolous lawsuit against a corporation that many times can bankrupt a company depending on that company. 
but yet you have a true problem and a real matter that needs to be brought before the court. But guess what? We look the same. They don't give you credence because I'm abusing the system. Congressman Farenthold says we have to end frivolous, frivolous lawsuits that, again, affect, Cliff, as you alluded to, the entire system yes. of economy, of commerce, all these things. And I think the, uh, the American people have to pay very close attention to this. These issues have to be looked into. Congressman Farenthold seems to be a person. He's not backing down. He is saying, look, I'm looking at the big picture, not the short term. And he speaks to this issue. Let's hear what he had to say. Thank you, Chairman. I rise today in support of H.R. 758, the Lawsuit Abuse Reduction Act, commonly called LARA, sponsored by my good friend and colleague from Texas, Lamar Smith. The legal system in the United States needs to be driven by justice, not by dollars. Right now, there are too many lawyers out there throwing their money at frivolous lawsuits and that manipulate and abuse the system. No one should be able to abuse our system. It's simple to file a lawsuit, and you can cost the defendant hundreds of thousands of dollars on a frivolous claim going through discovery and going through all of the legal processes. That simply isn't right. Laura ensures that judges impose monetary sanctions against lawyers who file these frivolous lawsuits, including the cost of attorney's fees incurred by their victims. It, presents bad, it prevents bad lawyers from using the judicial system as a weapon and provides justice for those who have been abused by these attorneys. By passing Laura, attorneys will no longer be able to exert power over their victims with these suits that are not based on facts and in law, but are merely intended to scare or extort money out of the victims. I remember when I was in law school in Congressman Smith's hometown of San Antonio, Texas, and one of the professors in one of my classes said something that has stuck with me for all these years about a lawsuit. You may be able to beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. Well, guess what? Laura helps with that. You're not going to be able to stop the emotional roller coaster ride the defendant and his family, his partners, his employees, his friends all go through as a result of the lawsuit that's frivolous. But you will be able to beat some of the cost of that ride by holding the attorneys who file frivolous lawsuits responsible for that. That's what we need to do. Frivolous lawsuits drain victims of their money and damage their reputations. Let's stop them before they start by putting the lawyers at risk for filing frivolous lawsuits. You know, in many countries, there's a loser pay system. We're not proposing we go that far here in the United States, but we do want justice for those who are victims of clearly frivolous lawsuits. Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you are wondering where you have arrived tonight, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and we are shining the light on Congressman Farenthold out of Texas, and uh, I'll tell you right now, what you just heard, Dennis, what stood out to you in that clip, he said it must be about justice, not dollars, dollars. but did you hear the passion in which the congressman spoke? Oh, yes, I heard him, man. Makes no bones about it, folks. And he's talking about, the, as a result of the abuse in our system, we have to hold 
people again. Our word tonight for Spotlight Thursday has been accountability. And he seems very passionate uh, about this act, about this issue. He is about fairness. Congressman Farrell is about, look, giving every person a fair shake. We can't get that done without holding folks accountable who are abusing the system. Dennis, your thoughts? Exactly. I mean, everybody's trying to get a dollar, and that's sad. You know, and, and we use our legal system to do it, uh, you know, by bringing these frivolous acts. And, and you know, you know it's, it's not about justice like he was saying. You know, like the congressman was alluding to, he was saying we got to be about justice. Enough is enough because not only do you hurt uh, these businesses uh, financially, but you actually, you know, hurt them, hurt them as individual people. I mean, you know, you're being accused of something that you haven't done. So I truly agree with him. It's time to, it's time out for that, and and I applaud the act. And uh, you know the this this uh, lawsuit abuse reduction act as he was speaking about it is it amends the rule 11 of the federal rules of civil procedure to require not just allow judges discretion but it requires judges to impose mandatory sanctions on the attorneys law firms or the parties who file frivolous claims defenses and other wow. legal uh, contentions. The legislation replaces the current rule, which allows allows judges discretion to impose those sanctions. And instead, this forces judges to impose mandatory sanctions prescribed by Congress. It also removes the rule safe harbor protection, which currently allows attorneys to correct their pleadings, claims or contentions within a 21 day period without fear of sanctions. So the way it's set up now is <laughs> it, like, OK, well, I got a preview. I got a frivolous claim. Yeah, I ran you through the ringer. I cost you several hundred thousand dollars. But then the attorney within 21 days of the wow. judge saying, you know, you shouldn't have brought this. You cost these people all this money. Then he can say, OK, well, I'm going to change it, make it all right. And then I, there's no sanction against me. No, uh, you know, basically no fine. So, so uh, the the new rule will say no. You don't get that 21 days. You filed it frivolous. It was frivolous. The court found it to be frivolous, and you're going to be sanctioned. And what I thought about is that this should be applied oh, to federal prosecutors. It should be. There we you go. You come up I with agree. a frivolous claim against somebody. You make them spend hundreds of thousands. Uh, you know, we were we were talking to uh, to Mr. Blagojevich. Last uh, two days ago, and he he said it almost cost him a million dollars to defend himself. That's what he said against, against the federal government, yeah. and they ended up dropping the case. Does he get a penny of that money back? No. no. So I think this should be wow. this is a great rule, and it should be applied federally to say if the prosecutor kept pushing and pushing, and he had nothing against you, then he should he should be brought up on sanctions. And he should have to pay you your attorney fee. Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, Lisa, it gives us some information to bring the Congressman Farenthold's office as we take a journey to our nation's capital. And I believe Congressman Farenthold will hear what we have to say on that. Lisa, your thoughts? Yeah, I think he's going to be he's going to be pretty open to hearing what's going on and trying to do what he can to make a difference because he seems to really be concerned about making sure things are done correctly in the government. No, absolutely. And uh, we go uh, another issue. The congressman is addressing the Innocent Sellers Fairness Act. Uh, Innocent Sellers Fairness Act exempts a lawful seller from liability for personal injury, monetary loss or damage to property arising out of an accident or transaction involving a seller's product unless the claimant provides one or more of the following activities by the seller. The seller was the manufacturer. The seller altered, modified, or expressly warranted the product. The seller had actual knowledge of the defect in the product. 
uh, and so on and so on. And he has a lot of uh, support uh, in the committee, the House Judiciary and the House Energy of Commerce back this bill. It is, it is to protect, and it's, again, just what the title says, the innocent seller's fairness. Congressman Fahrenheit is, is continually doing things to implement fairness. That is critical in our nation right now because the little man doesn't get treated fairly all the time. And, you know, they get looked over. It sounds like to me Congressman Fahrenheit is a congressman of the people. Yes. That, that's what I'm hearing here. I agree. You I go agree. down this list, folks. I'll tell you, you want to yeah. get in on the conversation tonight, dial 347-838-8976. 347-838-8976 as again the spotlight shines a little brighter tonight here at AJC Radio on Congressman Blake Farenhold and, and I think it is critically important that we understand these actions is why we are pushing again for the American people to get out and vote and make a difference exactly. if you don't have Congress, uh, congressmen and congressmen, congresswomen Doing these things that we are learning here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill, how does this nation run? It's not going to. It, it, can't, it, it can't survive. Exactly. Uh, and speaking to the diversity uh, of, the, of the government, of Congress, uh, man, I am, it's, it makes you feel a little proud and patriotic and a little bit American to uh, know you have somebody on Capitol Hill uh, and several people, Cliff, that we have learned through this ordeal – uh, they're doing things, and there are Congress and our elected officials are about the American people. We're seeing that very clearly now, and it seems very self-evident. Cliff, your thoughts on that That's perspective? Right. And what we what we want to stress is that you have to go out and you have to look. You have to understand policies and procedures. And when you look, that is when you find out that wow, the members of Congress, especially those that we uh, that we bring forward on Spotlight on Capitol Hill, that they are doing work. That nobody really ever knew about. You don't. I've said it many times before. You don't see this on C-SPAN, and you know they went up to vote on what one issue. You don't see this presented on CNN. You don't see it on Fox News. You don't see it on MSNBC. There's always the you know well hey this is this is this is a rumor about what we heard the the member of Congress were, was doing. Here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill, we tell you what their legislation is, what they've done to make a difference in the lives of the of the American people. And it, it actually honestly takes me back, uh, uh, takes me back to the uh, the veteran love for the con- the congressman has for veterans. You know, in Texas, they have one of the largest aviation programs. And Dennis, you can speak a little bit to that. the The importance of the aviation program in the military today, how critical is it? Oh, it's very critical. I mean, that's our uh, uh, that's that's one of our our first lines of offense, you know, let alone defense. And uh, here here in Colorado, you know, we we we've got a lot of bases out here that uh, deal uh, mainly with air our air power. So it, it's awesome. I mean, and and we're getting bigger. You oh, know, we're getting bigger here in Colorado, and uh, we're understanding the 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 importance of having. You know, an aviation department. Well, folks, we said before on this program, how many hats can a congressman wear and how deep do those hats go? Well, Congressman Farenthold is passionate about the aviation and the success of the aviation programs uh, that affect the safety and security of this nation. Let's hear what he had to say about aviation training and the importance of that. 
I rise today to recognize the Naval Air Station at Corpus Christi as it celebrates its 75th anniversary this month. NASCC, or as it was once known, the University of the Air, has been training pilots, navigators, aerologists, gunners, and radio operators since 1941. NASCC was founded in 1938 under the 75th Congress to train new pilots and technical crews to bolster our nation's air forces. The airbase serves southern portion of Texas, uh, of the United States, from Texas to Florida, and trains naval aviators nationwide, along with, fo- with uh, other pilots from our foreign allies. Today, NS- NASCC is not just a naval base. It includes tenant commands for the U.S. Army, Coast Guard, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The Corpus Christi Army Depot, with updates, rotary-winged aircraft, helicopters, is saving our country millions of dollars. The depot facility and other tenants make the base extremely cost-effective for both the Army, Navy, and taxpayers. The Department of Homeland Security, Customs, and Border Patrol operates a variety of aircraft from the base including Predator drones surveilling our border, which is great because we have a new generation of pilots interacting with UAVs getting their training at NASCC. NASCC's current commanding officer is Captain Randolph F. Pearson, who joins a long line of leaders to serve in Corpus Christi. During World War II, it was said there wasn't a naval aviator who hadn't earned their wings at the air station. These World War II naval aviators were critical members of the U.S. military, giving the U.S. an edge in battles across the Pacific and over Europe with our superior air power. It was American air power combined with U.S. naval power that played a critical role in turning back the tide of Japanese at the Battle of Midway. It was American air power that dealt a decisive blow against the Japanese in the Battle of the Philippine Sea, winning one of the largest air battles in history. After World War II, it was American air power that flew flood supplies to the starving people of Berlin during the Berlin airlift. This was all accomplished with graduates of the Corpus Christi University of the Air, NASCC. Today, the training program is approximately 18 months, and due to the increased complexity of modern aircraft, it just takes longer. 600 people per year are trained at the facility and go on to serve their country in the U.S. Navy and Marines as pilots engineers, and technical crew. These folks learn skills through the program that propel them through a successful life in the military and a successful life in the private industry or private sector after their service ends. Well, I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not feeling patriotic right now, you may want to go and pull that flag out we talk about on this program and Congressman Farenhold is setting the standard. Uh, I'm a little bit beside myself, Cliff and Lisa Dennis. The passion that Congressman Farenhold is speaking to, the aviation program, the protection, securing America, if that is not a topic that's on the minds of the American people tonight, then I don't know what is. When you hear that, Dennis, from Congressman Farenhold, and he talks about the, the importance of it even way back in World War II and all the things we have been through as a nation. I'll tell you what, if I have room for more flags, I guess we better pull them out. Dennis, your thoughts? <laughs> it's just awesome, I tell you. Uh, uh, to, have, to, to be involved with our aviation in such a way as far as training or, 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 or making sure that our, our aviation program uh, – 
provides the training and provides, you know, the input that it needs to do and to ensure that we got an aviation corps that can take care of this country. Look. And go, and go elsewhere if needed. And, uh, and we proved that. Well, I'll tell you what. People want to say that our military is weak, and, and it's not. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of weak. America, we have the most powerful military on the planet. Uh, ask a couple of countries about that. I'm sure they will concur. Right now, on the other side of this break, we're coming back as we continue. Woo! A hot spotlight on Capitol Hill as we have shined the light on Congressman Fahrenheit and folks. Make no mistake about it, the temperature is rising. We're coming right back here. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always, God bless America. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail about half of 1%, less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than 1 in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about 1 in 4. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic, as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. 
In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind, but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I'm here today to speak in strong support of Internet tax freedom. I'm a believer in the power of the Internet. It means a lot for America. It means a lot from the world. Because of our commitment to keeping Internet access largely unencumbered by taxes and government control, we've created something really cool, a dynamic market for goods and services, and most importantly, a marketplace for ideas. Our rights to freedom of speech and freedom of association have grown as the web opens new outlets for expression and advocacy, whether it's a group of citizens organizing to petition the government for a redress of their grievances or somebody looking for the love of their life on an Internet dating site. The Internet is there, but we cannot get comfortable. We cannot forget that the power to tax, and might I add the power to overregulate, is the power to destroy. That's why I'm up here supporting the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act. And I'd like to thank Chairman Goodlatte and our numerous co-sponsors on both of the aisles. This is good for America. This is good for the world. Please join me in voting yay. And there you have it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome back. And I'll tell you right now, folks, Spotlight on Capitol Hill tonight is on fire as we shine the light on Congressman Farenthold doing some things. And as you heard in the clip there, folks, uh, Dennis, Cliff, Lisa, not wanting to tax the Internet. Uh, and st- Now, I'll tell you, these positions that Congressman Farenthold is taking, I can guarantee you, are not popular. Because I guarantee you, by the traffic of the World Wide Web, Cliff, the estimations of monies made, if that's taxed, would be astronomical. Well, and it, it this is twofold. One is, you know, stay out of my house while I'm shopping government. The, <laughs> the, the issue that uh, Congressman Farenthold is dealing with is that if you start taxing the Internet and purchases across the Internet, do you know how astronomical the price is going to go on goods coming across the Internet? There we go. It, it, it would make no sense 
from any economical standpoint to say, okay, we're going to tax, uh, you know, what's sold on the Internet. They already have where if you buy something where the buyer and the seller are in the same state, then you get taxed for that. That's starting to become a serious, serious issue and yeah. a headache for at the end, of the, the end of the year, you get a 1099 form to say you bought this on the Internet, and guess what? You owe the government tax. That is just insanity to me. Leave the internet purchases alone. Let people, let commerce have its perfect way, and that way commerce continues. The more that you regulate, the more that you, you know, that you stipulate this is the way that you have to do business, the less people are going to do business, and the more it's going to hurt the economy. Well, the understanding here is that particular bill did pass the House. Uh, it's the Internet Tax Freedom Act uh, passed the uh, the House and was sent to the Senate in uh, July of 2014. Uh, we'll see what, what goes on with that, but I think that's critically important. If you look at the, at the consumer reports that I saw this past year during Christmas time, that the Internet outdid retail stores across the United States in shopping. They have what they call, is it, uh, you have Black Friday deals, Lisa, uh, you're a shopper. Yeah, uh, is that Cyber, is that, Monday. Is that Cyber, Cyber Monday? Monday? Yes. And that's a great day. The number was in the billions of dollars made. Uh, this is huge for America. That we have members of Congress saying, "Wait a minute, there has to be a there has to be a line in the sand, if you will, because we're going to have a problem here. Billions of dollars. And uh, I'll tell you what, not only the users on the internet would have a problem with that. I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, some votes would be cost uh, during an election year. They wait a minute because they are shopping." Technology is moving, and folks are more comfortable sitting at home over a cup of coffee and perhaps a piece of coffee cake in the morning doing their shopping and not having to brave the elements uh, and go outside. So, again, Congressman Fahrenthold, folks, seems to be connected with the people. Dennis, he's connected. Very connected. And uh, these are things that make a huge difference uh, in our democracy and in our process uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a very, very good thing. And, and those are things that definitely have to be paid attention to. Uh, we talked a little bit again, and again we go back to this, uh, uh, because we deal with issues that need to be addressed. Um, we are all aware of the outrage and the abuse of the, veteran, of, the of the VA, all the stuff that happened there, uh, our veterans being left behind. Again, Congressman Farenhold, a champion, takes hope of the horns, and wants to deal with that issue, and we're going to get ready to address that. Dennis, how important is it? We talked about this before. The veteran seems to be, again, as we said earlier, a major concern uh, to Congressman Farenthold. Oh, yes, definitely a major concern. Uh, He spoke about the uh, Veterans uh, Leave Act, uh, where uh, veterans that were getting out, and, you know, most of them do go into working for the government, you know, on the civilian side. And he was talking about how that he wanted to make sure that they didn't have to start all over in order to, you know, get sick leave. Because most of them, a lot of them, you know, got hurt, you know, in the war. So they're coming home and they're going to need sick leave. So he, 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 got, a, he got on that uh, bandwagon for our uh, military as far as the Veterans uh, Leave Act. And uh, it's a good thing. It's in place now. So veterans get out now. And their leave begin to accumulate, so they don't have to wait that whole year to start getting leave, sick leave before they can take it. That's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome because here, folks, uh, Congressman Farenthold, again, when you look at his legacy, his resume, 
uh, of what he is doing. These, as we said before on this program, are issues that face and create the foundation exactly. of tomorrow's America. And to our veterans, our hat, you must salute Congressman Earnhold. You have to. And many other members of Congress, but tonight is his night as we have dealt with some issues. He, he was outraged about the VA abuse, people not getting services, veterans dying on tables without care in America. Let's hear what the congressman had to say. Mr. Speaker, I'm outraged over reports involving the care of our veterans and the blatant mismanagement at the VA. We've made promises to our nation's veterans, and yet wounded veterans are waiting months and even years, with some even dying due to backlogs at the VA. I found out yesterday a veteran in my district died from excessive delays because he was unable to get necessary heart surgery. Delays at the VA hospital in Phoenix may have led to additional deaths. And reportedly, VA officials have ordered hospital workers to shield this information in order to hide incredibly long waits. Workers at a VA clinic in Fort Collins, Colorado, were supposedly told to falsify appointment records to escape retribution for not meeting agency-imposed goals. If they didn't, meet, they didn't do that, they were going to end up on a bad boys list. Mr. Speaker, if true, these reports demonstrate a serious problem within the VA. The brave Americans who served our country did not wait months or years to answer the call to protect our freedom. They deserve the best care that we can give them in a timely manner. Unfortunately, under current leadership with the VA, that seems impossible. If Secretary Shinseki can't get this done, President Obama needs to find somebody who can. Or here on HAC Radio, as we have shined the light, this is the trumpet of courage, of justice, of a man, a champion, I would call a general on the hill. And that is Congressman Blake Farenthold, and you heard his position on that clip in regards to the treatment of veterans. Who be the voice? injustice in the country. Spotlight on Capitol Hill finds those people that have become the voice of the people. Congressman Farenthold takes that standard as that's the bar that has been listed to him and his passion about the Creek veterans. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, he puts it on This is the issue that will be dealt with. You know, I've said it before that the, the first part of, of being able to deal with it, admitting that the issue is And so many times have that, you know, they don't want to just be grateful. They don't want to just come out and say, you know, we have a problem. And Congressman Carroll says, look, the Veterans Administration is failing their duty to our American service men and women. We have to put that on the table. We have to deal with it, and then we have to come up with a solution on this is how We'll fix it. This is the way to get it done. And Congressman Farenthold lays that down and has he, he has no qualms about calling it like it is, saying exactly what's going on, and said, hey, there has to be, again, uh, some accountability uh, for the people who have the responsibility to ensure that our veterans, as one example of what, he, uh, what his passion is, that they're taken care of. Oh, absolutely, Cliff. And uh, 
I tell you, you can't say it any better than that. And folks, wow is the word that I have tonight. And I'll tell you right now, folks, Congressman Farenhold, we have learned a few things tonight that we have found the congressman, the elected official of the people. And when that happens, folks, AJC Radio and our team, we are left with no alternative. We're left with no choice but to salute our Congressman Farenholt right now with a round of applause. Let's give it for Congressman Farenholt tonight. There we have it, folks. I'll tell you, the temperature, as we said earlier, continues to rise at AJC Radio. We salute Congressman Farenholt for your service to America, for your fight to America, for your uh, courage, if you will, to stand for the people. And tonight, we thank you so much for the opportunity, for taking time with AJC Radio and, and giving us an opportunity to shine the light on your extraordinary efforts there on Capitol Hill. Folks, join us here every Thursday, and I'll tell you right now, this gets hotter and hotter. The seasons have changed. Springtime has arrived, and summer is not too far away. A spotlight on Capitol Hill continues to catch fire, and I'll tell you what, thank you so much again to the staff and the team there that's working for Congressman Farrell that made this interview possible, and we appreciate that. And I'll tell you right now, folks, right now there's something even uh, just as important, if you will, regarding the safety and the security of the United States of America. As ISIS stands on the horizon, making an attempt to bring terror to, the, to this country, this is what you didn't know about the IRP-6. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers. 
as justice lays idle in the streets of America, we look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And what you didn't know about the IRP-6 is very clear. Ladies and gentlemen, as you sit in your homes tonight, feeling secure and safe, there's an enemy that approaches the homeland. Brussels hit with terrorist acts by ISIS. Tonight, what you didn't know is that six men, who this program is dedicated to, the IRP-6, sit in prison tonight languishing after almost four years for a crime never committed. The fact is that the IRP-6 created software that will enable the United States of America, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, law enforcement agencies across the spectrum to keep the homeland safe. These men are locked up wrongfully as a result of corruption and the lack of due process and the violation of our Constitution. Who are the IRP-6? David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker. Tonight we ask the tough questions. We inform America as we sit on the brink of terror. The IRP-6 holds the key to that answer, and that software is available now. Cliff, what you didn't know. Yeah, what you may not know is that Department of Homeland Security tasked IRP Solutions to create software according to their requirements. So this is not just software that, you know, you say, well, company, a company went out and they created some software and they want to try to market it to somebody. No. The Department of Homeland Security said these are our requirements for what we need. And this was shortly after uh, 9-11. These are the requirements that we need. This is what we need the software to do. This is what we're looking for. And IRP Solutions built that software to those specifications to the point where Department of Homeland Security said, give us a quote on what the price would be to stand this software up and to get it initially, initially running. And to stand the software up and get the first module running, IRP Solutions quoted Department of Homeland Security with $100 million. So it tells you the, uh, the value, the quality, and the efficiency of this software because it was requested and built to the specs of Department of Homeland Security. And, and Cliff, tell the people how significant is this software. Department of Homeland Security says this is what we have been looking for. These men created that which was not even possible by the big companies, if you will, could not tap in to this solution, but the RP6 did. That's right. A bunch of large companies, obviously, you know, government contractors had had gone after the, uh, you know, the the same contract, the same uh, requirements saying, you know, we want a piece of this pie per se. Well, as the as as the process kept going on. It was obvious that IRP Solutions was the only one coming up with the solution. You have the Consolidated in, uh, Enforcement Initiative that went the Consolidated Enforcement Environment Initiative that was going on during this time, and 
what is ironic is that when when uh, everything went down with the RP6, when the software was pulled off the shelf, the Silk software by RP Solutions, then suddenly the whole initiative fell apart. There was no one else who could answer the bill. There was no one else who had to answer for what Department of Homeland Security was looking for that when the IRP-6 got indicted and the government interfered with their business and caused Department of Homeland Security not to do business with them, suddenly the entire initiative disappeared. No one else could foot the bill for what DHS was looking for. That's how significant this is. Ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it. We sent a plea tonight to the Department of Homeland Security, to the President Barack Obama, President of the United States, to the Department of Justice, as we sit at right now, Cliff, the software is available in hand. As terrorists approach this world and now approach the nation, they sit idly and silently, and maybe in your city, maybe in your hometown, maybe they're at your church service or at the movie theater, at your restaurant, Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it, the answer to ISIS is right in front of us. The IRP-6, again, these patriots are David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zappolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. It is time for action now. We must get involved. If you are out there today, members of Congress, we plead with you tonight to make a move. President Obama, these men hold the key to safety, not only for us, but for our children and our children's children. Give us a call now, 855-529-4252, extension 710. That number again is 855-529-4252, extension 710. It is imperative, it is a matter of national security that action happen now as we sit glued to our television sets and to the media and to CNN and all the coverage of the, the wreckage and the tragedy of Brussels, America is in the line of fire. Action must be taken now. And I'll tell you what, the first step, Lisa, that we have run into here as we sit and look at patriots locked up who hold the key, make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen of America, There are those that are responsible as a result of these patriots being locked up, Lisa. Their actions and corruption have contributed to this issue. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen, how important, Lisa, i got to go back to you, how important is it to these folks to go out to change.org, sign the petition asking the President of the United States to grant clemency 
to the six men. Lisa, we must press the uh, sound the alarm, if you will, of what faces this nation as the answer and the specialists sit in a federal prison here in Florence, Colorado. How important is it that action be taken now? It is vitally important. We don't have time to sit around and wait. We don't have time for we don't I mean we don't want to sit and wait for another attack on US soil before they make a move and do something that needs to be done. It needs to happen now and it won't happen unless everybody goes out and does their part and gets this thing taken care of. Absolutely. Folks go out to AJCRadio.com. There is a video posted says the answer to ISIS crisis is the RP six. Six silk software. Hit the play button, folks. You won't believe what you will see. The possibilities of tragedies, our playgrounds, our our elementary schools, our junior high schools, our daycare centers. Ladies and gentlemen, understand the gravity of this situation. We need action now. Members of Congress, now. President Obama, now. Go to AJCRadio.com and you can find out more. Watch the video. See what we're talking about as our children and our country stands at risk. And we can be in denial all day long, ladies and gentlemen, but ISIS continues to make its way towards the homeland and have arrived in many places. And we need to definitely take a look at that. Again, go to AJCRadio.com. You can go freetherp6.org. Learn about this software. Contact your congressmen, your senators, your elected officials. Say, look, my children need to remain safe. I need to remain safe. Release these men, the RP6. Who are they? David Banks. David Sapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Gary Walker, our national security depends on it. It is critical that we get involved. Please go to Facebook. Tell all your friends on Facebook. Go to change.org. Go out to Twitter. Tweet this situation. It is a matter of national security. Make no mistake about it, folks. We plead with you. We plead with our elected officials to free the IRP6. If you've got further questions, you need information, the software right now is in hand to make a difference. Call 1-855-529-4252, extension 710. That is 855-529-4252, extension 710. Our nation's security depends on it. Good night, America, as we seek for justice, and we bring the message of justice all around the world. Free the RP6. Good night, America. Good night. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Speaker, it shouldn't take an act of Congress for these women to be inurned in Arlington National Cemetery. We've heard from numerous people on both sides of the aisle that this is simply the right thing to do. The Army should have just said, yes, let's get them buried there. The President should have used his pen and phone and ordered the Army to do it if they wouldn't. But guess what? We're here now, and it's going to take an act of Congress, and it's going to be a very strong act of Congress. I can't imagine we not passing this out of this House unanimously, and I suspect we'll see similar results in the Senate. But the remains of this woman should not have to rest in her granddaughter's closet. They should be interned in Arlington 
now. I urge my colleagues here to pass this bill unanimously, urge the Senate to act quickly, and urge President Obama to sign this into law. It's simply the right thing to do. We've just got to do it.